There's a whole crowd of men out there who need this. Welcome to the case study. This case study will be marked down in time. Known to all as the record keeper of the historic rise of the woke man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, welcome, gentlemen. I don't know if any women will be listening to this, but quite frankly, I don't care. What I want is to see the change in man. Yes, that's hurt. The change in man. This is the Woke Man series, where you hear the stories of men who changed, who laid to rest their old ways of thinking, and who opened up and started expressing their truth, revealing emotion strengthening their self-awareness and breaking free from the old paradigm of being a man. This is going to help men find the courage to open up, to break the shackles of toxic masculinity and to guide them home in becoming a better man. Let's go. Oh, by the way, it's Luca. Luca Reedy from the Feeling Alive podcast. And The Woke Man is a sub-series. You're welcome. Welcome back to The Woke Man series. Ladies and gentlemen, listening from wherever you are in the world, this is the greatest case study on man. And we're looking at the conscious journey of men and how they went from unconscious to conscious. If you've been listening so far, this is episode 45. We're nearly halfway through it and we've had some profound stories. And today I'm with my conscious brother, Connor. And thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Nice to be here. Now, we connected through Nick, Mr. Nick Warner, who's a friend of yours. Is that right? It's true. Yeah, we we were, we were ran man circles together. It's still kind of yeah. Ah, beautiful, man. Yeah, I interviewed him just last, the last episodes that just were released. And he's a good guy, man. He's, a, he's got a good sense of humor and he's, um, I love the way he thinks about things. And he mentioned you, so I'm glad we connected. The first question I have for you, brother, is where did you grow up and where do you live now? I grew up in a little village in Ireland, tiny little village, thousand people, three pubs. None of the doors had locks on them, that kind of wow. very rural country bumpkin sort of thing. And now I live in Berlin and I've been living here for about a decade. Um, I leave very, very frequently and always come back with my tail between my legs. This place is okay. So, um, this is where I am. What, what took you to Berlin? Um, you know, I, I noticed myself um, going down. I, I was working as a journalist. My dreams were always to write books. I was working as a journalist in Ireland. I was becoming kind of successful at it. I could see, oh, this could be a very comfortable life for me as a journalist. And I don't know, I had my, like my Saturn return, I was 28. Um, I freaked out, I said, no, I just want to be a bartender who writes books in the early hours of the morning. I don't want a high responsibility journalism job, I'm not ready for this yet. So I figured Berlin would be the perfect place to kind of reinvent and kind of annihilate myself to a certain extent too. And so I just, I got in my car and came over here, that was it. Wow, how, how old are you now? I'm 40. I just turned 40 uh, in April. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. What do the, the 40s feel like? 
Well, do you know something? I'm embracing my eccentricities a lot more. That feels nice. You know, I'm kind of, I, I really, and I think I've heard this before from people who are from, can, can I call myself one of the silverbacks now, one of the elders? <laughs> as a, as a you, you know, like, come, come gather around my lap, child, you know? But, but this idea of how, I, I think if you're, if you're aging properly, you're caring less. Um, I'm definitely recognizing that where it's it's there's a lovely kind of I've even noticed it with my sense of style I've been a bit more colorful I'm obviously I'm not displaying that today I'm in a boring white t-shirt <laughs> but little things like where I'm kind of like oh wow I'm, I'm wearing all passion colors and like some so this I, I'm hoping and you just don't care what other people think I don't care I might get a cane soon you know what I mean like kind of, <laughs> I, I see that's my trajectory, you know? To just carry less and less. Is the cane because you're preempting the, the 50s, or is that just, is it part I of the eccentricities? I think it could be part of the eccentricities. I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it's just that it's in my head, and I go, oh, if not in my 40s, then when? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, man. I might do one too, follow suit. Yeah. That's beautiful. What? So, what are you doing for a living now then? Are you in the bar, and, or are you writing full time, or are you doing both? So I've just I've just finished a book. It's just gone to the publishers uh, two weeks ago. So just got a got an advance on that, and then also I teach meditation workshops quite often and do private one on ones. Um, occasionally do like um, also I'm starting next week. I'm, I'm making my first ever game. So I've, I've friends like a board game, uh, not like a a, a role playing game. Like an like an online role playing game. I've never done anything like this. I'm way in over my head here. <laughs> but but it's about where the idea is. You go through like a role playing game, and um, if anyone's listening here and knows anything about gaming, I'm just going to use all the wrong terms. Like <laughs> my apologies in advance. But you go through a role playing game, learning um, some of the wisdom of meditation. Okay. So the the idea is it's like an interactive, um, immersive educational experience mirrored on like Zelda or something like this you know that is going to be fascinating to see how see what that looks like so that looks like <laughs> how, how, do, how do we how do we get this out how do we do how do we play this or when will it it won't be it probably won't be out for at least another year like I again like I know nothing about gaming but this is it's it's a guy who's just contacted me we're sort of we know each other in meditation circles we, we're all kind of the whole team is made up of Vipassana meditators. Nice. So it's, it's a hardcore group of meditators who are making this, this game. This is cool, man. So, this is cool. So like no that. one's in a rush, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, man. Everyone yeah, yeah, everyone's like, yeah, casual, chill, in the flow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone's taking their sweet Vipassana time. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, that, that's really awesome, though, man. It's like you pull together to, to like, introduce what you love into the world in a, in a new way. I don't think anyone's ever done something like that. Yeah, you know, to be honest with you, Luke, like it's, if this has all been like in the last couple of years, everything has just sort of gone in one direction now. It's, it's been really yeah. exciting because I was, you know, wrote, wrote novels before and they weren't necessarily spiritual novels, you know, they were just regular novels and wrote an awful lot of journalism and, you know, was a, was a war reporter for a while and, and then wrote like, you know, 
copywriting for companies and things like this. Wow. And now I couldn't, I just couldn't get any of that work if I tried now. <laughs> why, do <you> think that <laughs> is? why do you think that is? Is that because your capacity, your vibrational capacity isn't there anymore? Your, your mindset's not around that thing? or Possibly just because it used to be that those offers would come up. Yeah. And now every single offer is like, hey, Connor, I'm, I'm, I'm launching a meditation app. I want you to do the text for this. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I feel I've been... It matches the who you are now. The universe has pigeonholed me to a certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. Well, it's a good pigeonhole. It. It's, got nice, it's got nice cushions in that pigeonhole. It's got felt walls. It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> so what was the book about, man, if I, if I can ask? So the book is like, um, it's um, so I've been working an awful lot in Ireland in the last year and wanted to write a meditation book that was specifically for the Irish market. Yeah. So with, with kind of uh, reference, so we have an awful lot of folk wisdom in Ireland. You know, there's yeah. just, we have expressions and, and kind of just a certain knowledge that we pass on to each other. And I feel this is very complimentary of the insights you get in in deep states of meditation. Mm-hmm. So it, the book was really, and I know this sounds quite serious, but it was sort of a, it was a comical look at the complementary aspects of Eastern knowledge and then Irish wisdom. Mm-hmm. And what I was trying to do was just kind of normalize um, normalized spirituality for for Ireland. I mean, we're, Ireland is a deeply, deeply spiritual country, but um, in recent years, I think we've kind of become a little bit embarrassed of our past spirituality, mm-hmm. or perhaps we've just consigned it to mythology. So the idea of this book was to sort of like reintroduce everyday spirituality wow. to people. It's like a bridge. Um, yeah, it's totally. That's a lovely term for it, like a bridge. Yeah, wow. I could have said that. And with that, the explanation. I love that. I really, that's really cool. What, what's one thing you're really good at? I mean, I, I'm assuming it's writing, but is there something else that you're really good at? Um, do you know something? I think I'm pretty good at having ideas and then making them come to life. Hey, that's a fucking great quality, man. I, I just like when I when I look back in perspective, you know, in the time when it's happening, um, I'm tense and I'm stressed and I'm like, oh, why is this not happening already? But when I look back, you know, at, at, like when I have little reflective moments and go, oh, you you made that, that, yeah. and that. So that that's that's quite satisfying. Yeah, well, you know, like I mean, you 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 talk. What is it? You talk the talk and you walk the walk, right? Like you're, you know, just all up in the air and saying all these things. You're actually going through with them, which means either you're really, really in, you're really coming from your heart center, and you, you feel that it's right. Like I don't know. That's what I feel like. A lot of it's like this fantasization of things where we don't fulfill our dreams is because it's, it is just that it's a fantasy. But when it's inspired yeah. from within, it's like. Phew. What I'm basically saying is that you sound like you're a very heart-centered man. Ah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and what's one of your biggest fears right now on the opposite of this? Um, a big fear is that, okay, so I recognize, I, re- I recognize that what I do, the work that I do, even now, do you know what I mean? Like, okay, here I am, I'm on a podcast. With you. Um, I can feel like I'm watering my ego 
I'm applying fertilizer to my ego as I talk. I begin to think that I'm special because you're asking me questions. When I go into a meditation room, if I'm not careful, I'll begin to think that this is my wisdom. You know what I mean? Rather than like an ancient teaching that we all own. Or, you know, when my name gets put on a book, I'll start to think that I'm special. You know, so I think my biggest fear and the one thing that I'm constantly trying to work at is um, of applying too much fertilizer to the roots of my ego. Because mm. it's very, I, as you know yourself, like this whole spirituality, again, is just like, it's a trap. It's a whole, it's a huge trap. And you, we, we turn into monsters in this world. You know what I mean? Especially like you, you begin to realize, oh, wow, everyone's hanging on my words. And people are, are drawn to me. And, and that's when you have to really kind of double down on your intentions and you have to double down on your ethical standards. And um, I guess it's not my fear so much. Is it the fear of, like, of, being, of like being seen as like a manipulator or being seen as like... Or is, is it the fear of just not being integral and being fake? No, you know something. What I um, a few years ago, I um, I had a situation where I just begun to teach meditation, and I started dating um, a student of mine, and we we had an incredible, like very very exciting relationship, which ended up with her rejecting meditation outright and us kind of having a very tumultuous relationship. And I remember making a little vow to myself afterwards that I can never, ever do this again. Yeah. You know that I have to be, um, that, that I can't, um, that I have to be quite stringent about, about the meditation and I can't risk um, turning somebody off it. Because you know, the sheer label meditation as you say, like your poor qualities would be, or if you meditate, you shouldn't have these qualities. I shouldn't say poor qualities, it, but like you shouldn't have expressed that if you meditate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 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 the it was like an incredible lesson, but like the most basic lesson ever. Like, of course, like you 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 shouldn't involve romance in this this sort of pure spiritual world mm. because you're really just taking advantage of someone. Mm. Yeah. And you take advantage of someone who it, it, it has kind of come to you with their vulnerabilities. Yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of, I think that was a great slap on the wrist for me. Mm. Um, and, and I guess to a certain extent, it's something that I kind of, I'm always monitoring. I'm like, is this, am I, even just with like Instagram content, I'm like, am I putting this out for validation or am I putting it out for anyone you want to help me? So that's a conversation I have, and every yeah. so often, like I'll take, I'll just jump off Instagram for two weeks because I'm like, no, my intentions are off. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. come back. And I even had, I had it like I took the whole month of July off teaching because I kind of, I was getting to this stage during the first lockdowns in Europe where I was making money. You know, there was like lots of private classes were coming in, and I was beginning to get excited about the money. I was like, oh, oh, there's. More, more money more, and so I just said alright this was never about the money this was about the intention uh, so I'm going to take all of July off teaching um, just to try and I, I, I don't know kind of like what, when I notice just to sort of wean myself off the attachment you know yeah yeah, I totally understand that man you're a man with a lot of integrity 
I'm trying. Yeah, I'm really trying hard to be. Uh, to be honest, you know, like I can feel that integrity with you, but to be honest, like I actually think you'll naturally make more money the more integral you'll become. It, yeah, possibly. Do you know, That's I'm gonna how tell I you feel. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to tell you a really funny thing though. So I, start, I launched a new course that in August. And I always have this like proviso that it's like, if you can't afford to do any of my courses, you can do them for free. Okay. It's totally fine. But this time doing the course, I was like, I'm going to make a big point of putting this at the front of the course, you know, like really to kind of just double down on this idea that like, I want this to be available for people. And the first three people to sign up for the course, I wanted to do it for free. And I remember it was a real moment where I was like, oh, Connor, <laughs> you've done it now. You've got to walk, you've got to walk the walk now, my buddy. <laughs> but then after that, like there was another 20 people signed up and they all wanted to pay. And I was like, okay, all right. Um, you know, it's talk to you, man. Good on you, though. Good on you for doing that. To open a oh, thank you. And thank you. what's one of your favorite quotes? Um, all the joy, peace, and happiness are already inside you. You're just not paying enough attention. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you who that's from. I don't know who it's from. I think it's Jack Cornfield. Okay. But um, what makes you like I, that so much? Because it, it just it means that you don't need a teacher. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to um, get anything. You just need to be with yourself. Yeah. You know, there's so much of. Um, like it's not a journey, it's an anti-journey. Like it's, wow, it's, that's, a, it's a, that's hey, now you're stepping on people's toes with that comment. <laughs> you're, turning the, you're turning the world upside down now. <laughs> but tell it, me, it, tell it, me what it, you mean by that. Well, because it, it's this, um, you know. I mean, John Kabat-Zinn always says this thing: wherever you go, there you are, mm-hmm. and. Um, I used to be like I like a quote like that. If you'd met me six years ago, it would have made me angry. <laughs> um, and and I mean, I mean, I'm definitely, I'm probably one of the, the least open-minded meditation teachers you'll find. I'm, I'm cynical, <laughs> cynical, definitely cynical by nature. And I like, I like to empirically prove things, you yeah, know, because yeah. there's so much just like, oh, there's so much to talk. Yeah. And I'm like, show me something here. Show yeah. me something. But and I think this idea of the journey is very dramatized, and it's almost you know, it's it's like this cinematic arc. Mm. And when the reality is, all you need is just a a quiet space where you just sit down for a couple of minutes. It can be anywhere. It can be on a bus. It can be on a train. You can have the most humdrum existence. You don't have to be Alanis Morissette. You know what I mean? You can kind of. It it really is like this this idea of tranquility and understanding and mm-hmm. stages of enlightenment mm-hmm. are very normal, and I think when we explain them in what I feel is like exotic and often elitist terminology, it it makes people who already have like limiting beliefs just think, oh, this isn't for me. And I think that's a shame. I mean, I taught I taught meditation in prisons for a brief while, and you're there, and there's guys in cells, and it's dirty and it stinks. And um, you're like, you can you can get to all the levels that anybody in India gets to, or Tibet gets to, or Bali gets to, right here on your mattress. Mm. And and I I think that's I think that's um, 
Mm. I think that's a great comfort to know that. Yeah, I really can understand where you're coming from when you say this, and I think we're probably going to have to write, extract that quote and make it stand out for this Workman series because that's a very powerful quote. And if you like having you explain that, it's like I totally get it. It's like because mm-hmm. I get a lot of clients that they're like, I know healing's hard, I know it's meant to be hard, and I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on a second, you're you're making it a challenge already. How about, why don't we just say healing is easy? Yeah, it's uncomfortable at times, but it's not hard. We choose. We choose. And so I think it's that also. Yeah. That's how I was sort of bringing that into this is like, yeah, because it's like we make it this like desert, like this pilgrimage that we've got to go on. And I think that's sort of what I'm, how I'm relating it to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so right. I feel like we're kind of we're we're it's a, it's we're all it's always like I think we're always it's like a tip of the tongue sort of thing. Like you're already kind of there. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're already kind of there. You just need to. It's it's you know it's it's like you're just looking at it from the wrong angle. If you come around here, then you see the face. You no, know, you were looking at the back of the head the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And um, I think it's that I think it's that easy. Um, not easy, but, but but kind of it's that sort of um, simple. Simple. Mm. I think simple is a better word than easy. Yeah. What's the conscious band to you, Connor? Um, that's an incredible question. I'm not really sure, but I imagine it's someone who um, someone who um, sees the reality as it is. What do you mean by that? So, um, the vast majority of us, we live in uh, a delusion, you know? Um, And this is very much where I take out, like, my Buddhist notebook and give my PowerPoint presentation. But it's the the idea that, you know, the the delusion, first off, that we are our thoughts. Um, The delusion that we are somehow separate from each other. Um, That... And I think when we become conscious and we recognize that, you know, um, we're not an individual self. We are not the burning ambitions inside of us. That all of these things are simply products of the environment that we are in and that we've grown up in. And when we can, and this is where like meditation is such an amazing tool, when we can begin to recognize and we recognize these things through meditation, we recognize that, you know, um, the differences that we perceive are all delusions, that we are highly interconnected, and that we can choose whether to react to thoughts or not. And when we come to this place, then we, that I think that being a conscious man is recognizing this. Yeah. Yeah. I think being a a hyper-conscious man is probably when you're able to not only recognize it, but put it into practice of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, that I think that's the next and probably like much harder step. Yeah, yeah, totally. The definitely more challenging step, but I love that perspective. What, yeah. What's one thing that challenges you right now? Growing up, really, it's really funny, like, you know what I mean? Like, I recognize that, yeah, like, I can go into stages of, of samadhi and various like jhana samadhi and you know my body will dissolve and 
I'll recognize, yeah, anatta, I have no self. And in picture thoughts, it's just passing waves. But still, like, a letter comes in the post from the tax office, and I go, fuck, and it's wrong. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Or, like, um, I'll kind of find myself in a position where I'm like, oh, like, you know, understand, like, the concept of, like, the Buddhist concept of Nietzsche, that everything is changing all the time, but I'm still kind of anxiously wondering why my ex hasn't got in touch, you know? So it's still, it's like a head in the clouds and feet firmly in the mud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the earthly realm things, you know, staying Yeah, in very much. Those things are still very challenging. But growing up, oh. man, like I feel you on that. Like I just recently turned thirty, and I'm like, and the reflection that I have is like, holy shit, dude! I'm never gonna be in my twenties again. All that's just a it's gonna be a fading memory, and it hit yeah. me really hard to go. Oh my god, it is. It's just now. It's just now. Yeah. Because soon, yeah. forties are gonna was be. That, was that, are gone. Was that tough, or was there some sort of relief with that? Man, no, it's um. It was it was relief, I would say. Yeah, it was a little bit of like nostalgia, uh, but yeah, no, you know what? It was actually really good because it just brought me into this present moment. I'm just sort of like really soaking this up. Yeah, so that's that was a that was the realization I had around that. Yeah, growing yeah. up, man. And what does unconditional love mean to you? Well, um. It's, it's definitely um, something that I would aspire to. And I think it's, um, I think the workaround um, is just when you can recognize um, the lack of, I, I think when you kind of, how I try and get there is uh, uh, through, through self-inquiry. And as you recognize, like, my head is full of judgment. It's, it's ridiculous. It's almost comical how judgmental. On others or on yourself? On others. You know what I mean? If I, if I meet someone, I'm like, those shoes? You know, or, or I'm, you know, kind of, I'm like, oh, you should do this with your hair. Or, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I have a very bitchy internal monologue that, that goes on there. And, and I recognize this, and I recognize this, there's other parts of my head, too, that are deeply, deeply uh, embarrassing for me, you know? But um, as I recognize these things and understand that, yeah, they're just a part of the, the full catastrophe that is the human machine, you know, that we all have these things. When you're in conversation with someone, you know that they're kind of evaluating and judging and they're making horrible criticisms and so on and so forth. But that's not necessarily who that person is. Mm. That's just the mechanics of the brain. Mm -hmm. And I think as, as, as you begin to kind of learn more about your brain and how it functions and how the mind functions and how it navigates the world, and if you can apply kindness to that, if you can recognize that, oh, of course, I ended up in that situation. Of course I had that argument because my brain is wired this way. And if you can recognize like, oh, okay, not, not, I won't be so hard on myself. I understand this is just how the brain operates. Then you can kind of move out into the world and understand that there's no bad actions. There's just people who are suffering from their thoughts. And if people are not their thoughts, then how can you really blame them? And from that perspective, 
I think you can begin to develop um, unconditional love for other people. Um, by rec- like, the, what's that lovely expression to you? And I'm being, I'm being a real butcher here by just using other people's quotes and not the <laughs> oh, but, um, that one of like, you know, um, be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a battle. Um, you, you, in that one, um, right? And it, and the more you can understand your own battles, Lupin, you know, the more you can understand, like, God, I feel insecure right now amongst these people, or I'm anxious right now, or I'm afraid of the future. And then you can kind of, you can transcribe that onto everyone you meet in every conversation, like, wow, this poor person is probably afraid of the future too. They're probably anxious. They probably just said something and they regret saying it immediately. And now they're torturing themselves. And with that, like, it kind of just cracks your heart open. Doesn't, or at least for me, when I kind of begin to recognize this in myself, it cracks my heart right open and makes me think, God, humans, we're such fragile little creatures. Like, isn't it so? We're so tender. And we're just trying to do our best. You know, we're just trying to be loved. Like, whoa. Like, it's no wonder that we kind of respond to dogs so much because we're like dogs. We just want to be loved so badly. Yeah, so badly, man. That's all we want, to be heard, to be seen, to be loved. We just want to be accepted and held and told, like, like, you look great and you're you're nice and you're good and bad and all these things, you know. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah, always fun. A hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Yeah. Just, just cut my hair and tell me it's going to be okay. It, right? Yeah. Like, we just want, like, Luca, you're doing a great podcast. Yeah, it's amazing the service you're doing. This is all we want, you know. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. I love that perspective. Yeah. Very, very yeah. Alan Watts vibes. Um, yeah, I, I think you can't help but not become in that vein once you go down this road, you know what I mean? It's very, I think it's, I think that's kind of a, probably like a trope, you know, in a way. It's just like you, you've yeah. just got to a point where you see things like that and you just see, you just, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You see the yeah. Bit, you know? Yeah. What, so, what about, what about greater power? Do you believe in a greater power and what is that to you? Um, I mean, I don't, I, like, I, um, yeah, totally. I, I, I guess I do. I feel that, um, I, but I, I, from my own experience, I think that greater power is, is in us, you know, so far, I'm not, I'm not sure that it's a kind of a, an entity that's out there. I think it's already in us. Mm. And um, all I know is that I'm ignorant of so much. Um, so I'm like, why not? Why not? Yeah, totally, man. I feel that. So we'll get into the main questions of your conscious journey. And the first question is, what did your life look like as, as unwork, as unconscious? And how does it compare to now? Oh, I was just, I was driven mad with anxiety. It was, uh, it was horrible. I would wake up in the morning with like, you know, um, bombs dropping all around me. It, it was the worst. You know, I, I, I remember I was the king of the to-do list. You know, there's a to-do list, another to-do list, another to-do list. I'd wake up in the night, add to my to-do list. Wow. Like it was, 
I just feel, I, 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 when I think about it, I feel very sorry for the, I had some wonderful partners in my life and I feel very sorry for them that they had to kind of wake up beside me and I'd be, it's kept on all the time. So a lot of anxiety had like, uh, was depressed, you know, all sorts of, you know, miserable, like erectile dysfunction, just like smoking a lot of weed, a heavy drinker, um, but, uh, but also like, um, and wanting to be good all the time, you know what I mean? Had this sense that like, Striving. I'm done with being an asshole. You know, I, I, like this, I think I had a tendency to be a bit of a prick to people because I was a smart ass, you know, and I was like in, a, in an argument, I could, mm. I could beat you, this kind of that. thing. I could see that. You know, had a lot to prove. Um, like you can hear yourself, like I could, I could talk to the cows come home, you know, and I think I was using a lot of that for, um, to, in the wrong direction, mm -hmm. you know? Mm. And then now, I mean, it looks like you've com it's compared to that person, it's, it's completely shifted. How does that compare to now? Well, I'm, I'm still very much a work in progress. Like, like we talked about earlier, the whole growing up thing, like I've still, I'm single at the moment. And um, when I go in in relationships, I get triggered, old shit comes up. Um, I have, I have a, even like I have a, one of my closest friends in the world is sort of is, is now living with me at the moment. He got stranded. He's from New York and he's been staying with me for a week and a half and I'm getting triggered. He's in my space. You know, he knocked over a plant the other day and I was <sighs> not getting my plant. And then I had to have a little conversation with myself. It's like, Connor, this is your best friend in the whole world. And you're getting that, like upset about a plant that fell over. Uh, like, what would you rather, the plant or him? You, you know, so, um, <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, no, it, no. it's, it's like these kind of, like, I, I also think like, um, on this anti-journey, <laughs> mm. I'm going to trademark that. Yeah. Um, it's very, we, it's very comical. I think we can really look at our actions as high comedy. You know, rather than like being overly earnest and serious about what we're doing. Like, isn't, isn't it kind of comical that you would, you know, even in relationships, I'm sure you know yourself, like here's someone who you adore at yeah. one moment. Yeah. And then you're like, ah, oh, she got toenail clippings oh on the vacuum. Totally like, it's <laughs> Absolute so monster. Yeah. Right? Like, mm -hmm. Oh, what am I doing? Life choices. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's, you know, we can laugh about. Well, that's one of the Abraham Maslow has like nine characteristics of what it, what it means to be self-actualized, right? Like living that, in your true potential, and one of them yeah. is thoughtful sense of humor, and yeah, then, yeah. you know, not laughing at others or the expense of others, but laughing at yourself and laughing at yeah. the shit you've done. And I think that's so that's so true, man. Is like taking the piss out of some like some of the shit I've done, man. Like even on this spiritual journey, conscious journey, some of the you know oh. the, the beliefs that you prescribe to, and 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 the things that you go through, the phases that you go through, like yeah. fucking hell, it's just a good laugh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and um, and and I think that's like again, like like how healthy is it to be able to look on yourself with laughter? Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. What what was your biggest vice in that period, that unwork period? 
Um, insatiability, I think. You know, kind of um, never satisfied. It was very funny. Like, I remember had a couple of, like, books published, you know, and, you know, made some, you know, had success to a certain extent, you know, doing interviews and uh, things like this. Never felt it wasn't like enough. It was enough. Yeah. I was a bottomless pit, you know, or um, I remember going on holidays and always like bringing my laptop with me and, you know, to, oh, I gotta, I gotta keep writing, you know, it was, it was so attached to this idea of always writing books and being a writer and it, 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 I felt like I never, ever let myself off the hook. Mm. Mm. Why do you think that was? Um, it, because I think I was so uncomfortable with my present state that I was racing to get to some future state where I would be comfortable. Mm. Was the future state there to prove to someone that you were good enough? It was, a, it was a, some sort of magical fairy castle that I built in the future where books would be published and I would be writing regularly for the New Yorker and, mm. you know, I, the telephone would ring and it would be... I, I don't know, David Letterman wants to meet me. You know, it was, it was this kind of thing, um, which, which gives you an insight into the mind of people like Donald Trump, you know, or, or, or any sort of power-mongering people. Mm. I, I think like when you, when you begin to recognize these things in yourself, it's another kind of a, a, a shortcut to unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see how people operate. Do you believe that all the traits outside of you are also within you? Um, I guess, I mean, we used to have an expression growing up about farts, and it was, he, he, he who smelt it, dealt it. And I think to a certain extent, you know, when you can recognize these things in other people, you know, you recognize the um, megalomania. Mm. Totally, and, and you you must own a little bit of it. It must be there in you too, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, one one of the things I'm very big on is that it's like just just take ownership for what you got and what you're what you're seeing as you, and then that gives you more compassion. What what uh what emotion challenged you most? You talked about anxiety. Was there another mm. emotion? Anger, shame, guilt, fear, fear, fear. Fear has been like. Um, my constant companion. I always, I, I kind of joke that I think I came out of the womb chewing my nails. <laughs> I had a, I had a very interesting. Um, I had a very interesting. My first time I ever took ayahuasca, um, I ended up back in the womb, and and had like, I, like it was like this. Just Luca again, like so. Um, I was I was so unprepared for ayahuasca. I took coke like two nights before I took ayahuasca. Oh you know, didn't do the diet. Didn't do anything. Like was smoking a rolly before I went up the stairs to meet the shaman to do the whole thing. You know, like it was just the worst candidate for spirituality before oh, what I started. Happened in that journey? How did you? Hurt? I it, it like knocked me on my fucking ass in the wow. deepest way and ended up like just was quite gung-ho and was like, I want to drink a lot and um, did and um, 
Yeah, ended up like in utero. I was like, oh, now I'm in my mother's womb. Having a conversation with my mother, and my mother afraid that she was like miscarried with me. And um, then actually went home to Ireland like a month later and had a conversation with my mother and was like, here, I'm going to play something like I, I did a, a plant. <laughs> and, um, and she sort of broke down in tears and was like, well, you know, before you were born, your dad kind of was missing and I was living in a trailer with your sister and um, actually like had to go ask neighbors for food and was worried that you were going to miscarriage. I thought maybe you were going to die. And, and for, yeah, like, whoa, um, that kind of, for me, I think that's, that was sort of the beginning of my journey with fear. And I think fear has been the big thing that's followed me the whole way through this, this show. And, mm. um, and it's kind of, if, yeah, and it, even just to sort of, to, I mean, to step out, to step out here and be talking about these things um, required a huge dance with fear as well, because um, I never wanted to put myself in this position. Mm. Never wanted to talk openly about my spiritual side of things. Mm. Well, um, I appreciate you sharing, man. Yeah, no, thank you. Like, it's it's a joy to do it now, but I kind of had to throw myself out of my own mess to get here. Yeah. <laughs> to get me. And and you know that story you just shared then is like it's just something so profound with that of like the connections that you can make of not having any understanding but there is just so much connection in that field of consciousness. It's just it's just bizarre to be honest. Right. And and so and so kind of um encouraging. Yeah. You know that we're always we're so close to it. We're we're always just like skirting around the edge of yeah. the real truth. Well, that's the empirical evidence that you talked about, right? It's like when you fully experience it like that, you just go, wow, there is something more here. There's something bigger. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Have you, um, have you, and that anxiety, do you find that, that was connected to that fear? Like, because it's sort of the same thing, right? Like anxiety and fear can be seen as the same thing. Do you sort of feel like that's all sort of connected around that thing from the womb for you? Yeah, I think so, definitely. And because then anxiety I contributed to something else as well. Yeah, and then and then my childhood, you know, was was a bit of a well, you know, it could have been it was like a, like a movie childhood, you know, like a classic Irish thing with a, an alcoholic father and a very religious mother in, in a small redneck town in the middle of Ireland, you know, it was it, it, <laughs> where it rained every day, you know, I mean, it was it, it was it was the classic thing, um, and I guess. Well, you know, it's that whole idea of like what you feed. And I think I definitely fed my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like my anxiety was a very plump emotion. And it was only then really through uh, beginning with meditation and so on and so forth that, and coming to a place where I was like, oh, hold on. When you're present, anxiety can't exist any longer. And I remember the very first time I meditated, I, um, it was with Headspace. And um, I had like the free introductory package. And I remember doing the introductory three minute meditation 20 times in a row. <laughs> if I was like, oh, because for a few seconds when Andy would say, just let the clouds roll by, you know, just come back to your breath. Dude. Do this thing. I'd be, 
oh my god what is this feeling what is this oh. sensation and i just did it, and did it and did it and did it and did it and was like oh wow this is another way of being and um that started the journey eh? the anti-journey yeah, <laughs> <In> my bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's, whose love did you crave most, and who did you have to be to get it? My dad. I totally craved my dad's love. I didn't value my mother's love because I didn't trust it. Because I was like, "You love me, and you say you love me, but you're not leaving this alcoholic man to protect yeah. me." Yeah, okay. uh, and that was hard. That was really hard. But my my dad's love was the one I craved most, and I've got it now. You know, he. Last year, my dad, like God bless him, he's 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 almost he's famous in Ireland for the amount of cancer that he's had. Whoa! Like he he goes to seriously almost every year, um, and I don't mean this. I I don't want to talk negatively about this. Like he's he's, he's had an unfortunate run of things, but also been extremely lucky. But uh, pretty much about. I think we've had about seven conversations where we've had to sit down and he said, well, maybe this is the one that got me. And I've had to kind of be, I love you and I forgive you. Mm. And um, last year he was in an intensive care unit for a month and I spent most days just with him, holding his hand and going through this little battle of, I hate you and I love you and I hate you and I love you. And you know, like, I, I quite often, I think like, like my dad is the love of my life. Do you know what I mean? If you want to talk about like weird bonds, like he's kind of like my soulmate. Like in that he's taught me everything I love and hate. And that I've never felt so strongly for anyone on the planet as him. And, um, you know, like, Learning to love someone who's brought or who's brought you so much pain, like that's been the hardest challenge in my life, mm-hmm. and um, like it's 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 been, and it, it's still a little bit of a challenge. You know, he's, there's still moments where I'm like, you did, <laughs> you know. There's still he'll say things every so often, but generally it's mostly love mm-hmm. and mostly just you had it hard. Yeah. You have yeah. really seeing him his, seeing him from his perspective of life. Yeah, and knowing about like my granddad. My granddad was was my granddad was just fighting. You know what I mean? Like kind of. Yeah, you gotta you gotta think. Fuck! If you didn't have that, you'd be such a different man, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And if I hadn't had that, I'd be such a different guy too. Exactly, you know? brother. Yeah. Like yeah. suffering brings the awakening, right? And completely. It's just like going, it would never be, never going to be any other way. So let's just focus on what it taught you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And what about the lowest point in your life, Connor? Talk to me about that. And was suicide ever an option? Mm. What are you drink? What are you drinking, by the way? Is that water? That's uh, my first whiskey of the day. No, it's a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Cool. Yeah. Um, um, I think the lowest point of my life, um, <clears throat> my best friend committed suicide when I was suicidal. And I feel to a certain extent that he saved me from committing suicide. Yeah. Um, I was 21 and he was 20. And we were in a bar in Dublin one night and we were talking about, <clears throat> it's just, <clears throat> this just is a kind of an example of how macabre 
Dublin is, oh, and and that, um, and how it can be, or just how young men's conversations can be. The two of us were sitting there talking about methods of killing ourselves, different ways that we would do it when we were drinking, and we <clears throat> we decided that the best way to do it would be to drown yourself. And um, I remember then sort of turning to him and said, "You're not, you're not thinking of doing something, are you?" And he goes. Um, I'm too depressed to even do something. You know, that was his sort of answer. And that night, um, we left the bar, we went separate ways, and he went to, there's a river Liffey that runs through Dublin, and he went there, and he tied his arms and legs together and jumped in and drowned. And uh, I found out about it two days later. <clears throat> and the shock of it, I just packed a bag and I moved to Italy. I was like, I can't be in Ireland anymore. Ireland is too dangerous for me. Um, and I remember I went to Italy and I had an eating disorder. I had an eating disorder for a year. I couldn't eat in public. Every time I noticed that somebody was watching me eat, I would feel food come back up in my throat. Whoa. It was it was the most ridiculous thing. And I mean, what a, what a curse to go to Italy, the place where every activity is eating. And it's, like, it's like, I don't know, it's like going to Las Vegas and you're allergic to gaffling. Here, here I was like, I thought, this is how funny it was that Luca, I was like an idiot. And I just, I had to like, like cook for myself all the time. Because if I went out to a pizzeria with friends, I'd be like, I can't eat. Wow. What, what was that? What, what, what anxiety. I was, I was just freaking out inside. I'd had this moment, this brush with death, where I was feeling suicidal. I was very depressed. And then my friend kind of went and sort of, I feel like he took one for me. Do you know what I mean? Like he did it. And then immediately I was sort of shocked to the point where I was like, I, I could see like the ripple effect of someone committing suicide. I felt broken. His family was broken. All our friend circle were broken. And I knew that I can't do this. Mm. He, it, you know what I mean? I was like, I couldn't do this to my family. I couldn't do this to the people who I know. Mm. And ran off to Italy and then, and, you know, just experienced all of this yeah. for the longest time. Mm. And uh, I think that was probably some of the lowest moments. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, man. It's it's really close mm. to home. I can feel that for you. Um, yeah. Definitely yeah. I feel like it has been a profound shift for you. And, and he, he, you know, whether it was his soul coming in to just guide you down your path, who knows. But... Wow, what yeah. a gift, man, to be able to see it from that perspective. His name, his name was Kevin, and he truly was like an, an angel of a guy. Yeah. He was he was a punk and a vegan, and we used to shoplift Linda McCartney ready meals and wow. things like this. He was so... He was vegan he was back just, then, 20 years ago. He was a vegan back then, and back when kind of everyone was sort of homophobic, he was totally like, no, just gender, everything's fine. You know, he was just really... It's almost too good for the world that we lived in. Now. Well ahead of his time. So ahead of his time. And like, um, I don't know, wherever he is now, I, I hope it's a better place for mm. him. Mm, it's beautiful, man. What, what was the significant moment of awakening for you? Um, I got to say, um, ayahuasca was a huge one. Because um, always a very deeply cynical, deeply intellectual person, ayahuasca was a kind of a, a, a reawakening to the idea that there's a God. 
Mm-hmm. After I took ayahuasca, I was like, okay, whatever. Uh, tarot, astrology, meditation, kundalini. I'll give them all a go now. <laughs> it kind of it broke down. A, it broke down a big wall of cynicism. Do you know what I mean? I was like, sure, whatever. Like let's do, like let's do this method. Let's do this. Like static yeah. dance. Sure, fuck it. You know, it, 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 it really broke down a wall for me, which was a huge wall yeah. built on fear. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just goes fucking. Uh, yeah. he, he goes the. He goes the new world. You're like, it's like platform nine and three quarters, right? You just go straight through that fucker. <laughs> <laughs> it just blew you straight through the brick wall, mate. <laughs> Seriously, it, it really, it really, and it, 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 it wouldn't have happened if not for that. Yeah. yeah. It really wouldn't have happened. That's um, cool, what, There's what a jump truck outside. Should I close my door? I can't hear it. It's good. Okay, perfect. Okay, yeah, yeah, we're good. And what about the healing modality? What healing modality was biggest on your journey so far? Was it? I mean, ayahuasca. You've talked that meditation. Is that the two? Or is I feel ayahuasca for me was kind of like um, the miracle I needed to get into religion, you know. But I feel like ayahuasca itself um, was a little bit like the kind of. You know, the guy outside the restaurant with the menu saying, come on in, two for one. But then the restaurant itself was Vipassana. Yeah, okay. So if I had never done ayahuasca, I would never have done Vipassana. And Vipassana for me, um, really, I, 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 that's changed my life. My Vipassana practice has informed me. It's so, I, I just, every time I do Vipassana, I just, I'm just well up with gratitude that a technique exists for alleviating human suffering. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was talking about it. How many have you done? Pure, um, about eight, nine. Uh, you'll see yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. I, um, has, do they get easier and easier, or is it like, is it still challenging every time you um, go in? Oh, I'm the worst student. I, I even, I, do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm bringing snacks in with me. <laughs> 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 so bad. Yeah, so um, Vipassana, can you just tell everyone for listening who doesn't know what Vipassana is, can you explain it for them? Yeah, so Vipassana is, a, is, a, is a, it's, it's a, it's an ancient uh, meditation technique which was revived in the 1960s by a Burmese businessman called S.N. Goenka. He's now dead. But it's the whole thing is run on donations. It's a very pure kind of mm. school of medicine. Um, nobody gets any money from it. And the idea is you spend 10 days in silence where you are fed meals and you do um, the guts of about 8 to 14 hours of meditation every day. And you've no distractions, no reading, no, no writing, no phones, nothing like this. And what it is, is it's almost like it's the perfect conditions for optimal meditation. That's, that's really how it is. And the meditation style is uh, extremely simple and extremely rugged. You, you begin with a focusing of the mind by following the breath. And after three days of heightening your sense of focus, you then go into this exploration of the field of your body, the field of sensations in your body. 
And as you're exploring this field of sensation, you are going into this area known as Panya. And Panya is wisdom. And wisdom is basically, you know, in different traditions, they call it source or the universe or so on and so forth. So this is a little bit like you, you're kind of, um, you're getting direct contact with this wisdom for the remaining seven days. And that's where the real healing takes place. That's where you're like, oh my God, that was my fault. Or, oh, I did this. Or, oh, and you, you just, you're holding up a, a cracked mirror to yourself mm -hmm. for seven days. And it's very, um, it can be very emotional. You, know? you, you kind of, you feel all the feels. Mm -hmm. And then you come out of it with um, just a, a deeper sense of self and a, a, a much closer connection to uh, other people. Yeah, it is. It's one of the greatest things I've ever done. One of the hardest things I've ever done. I've only done once. Right. I'm ready to go again. But right. most transformative thing, for sure. Yes. I mean, having said that, I, I don't think the passionate is for everyone. I've met, I've met plenty of students who've had uh, PTSD, people who, you know, are kind of um, psychotic tendencies and so on and so forth. And I think the passionate, because of the, um, <clears throat> they don't, you're, you're, you're on your own. You're left on your own a lot. I know there's other retreats where you have a lot more check-ins. You have kind of moments of conversation and shorter time frames, and I think um, I think they can be more conducive for people who are kind of a little bit more the extreme. Um, extreme <clears throat> extreme is not fair, but just people who are probably a little bit more sensitive to some things. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. What What about yeah. your friend group? How has that changed as you've changed? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, well, Nick Warner is now in there. <laughs> he wouldn't have been a friend five years ago. <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be like, who's this guy with the beard? <laughs> Talking about drinking his urine and stuff. Like, what? <laughs> oh, shit. That's funny. Um, so, so, fair to say they're much deeper. Oh, yeah. Like, much. The friends, like, I, I still... I'm I'm happy to say like I've still like got a lot of the older friends and um we're all kind of growing together, you know, and and I love that they accept that I've kind of gone off the deep end with the meditation and stuff and, and they're not like, yeah, they take the piss out of me as they should. Mm. Um but they haven't completely turned their back on me, which I love. Yeah. yeah. Because I know that I've changed a lot and I've become um and I, you know, at my worst moments, I'm holier than thou, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love that they're still kind of, you know, hanging on in there. Well, that's the thing too, though, is like you're going to be there for them, like when they need it. And it's like they'll see the changes in you when they're ready to come along, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. I got, yeah. I was, yeah. I was having um, a good laugh at one of the other. So, Woke Man, I've interviewed for. Four Irish men, so three are uh, three are living in Perth, Western Australia, and you the fourth. And yeah. um, I'll connect these all up on, on Instagram and just to say you can follow each other. But the uh, yeah. one of the fee, one of the other um, Irish guys I just recently interviewed, he was telling me a story about his how his old friends now see him after because he's very fresh on this journey. I think it was like last October he started shifting, 
and yeah. and now his friends when they invite him over for dinner they call him Drum Circle. Drum Circle, say come over for dinner and and bring your drums. Come over to Drum Circle, and so yeah, that's his nickname amongst his old friend group, Drum Circle. So it's very cool to see them accept him for who he is now because they could see because he I mean he actually got yeah. to the point where he was just on the brink of. He bought all the stuff from the hardware store to commit suicide, right? Like he was there, he was ready. Like he was yeah. gonna, he was gonna plumb the hose into the back of his car and put it through the window. And um, it was in the glimpse of like that last minute where he's about to, he just wanted to say goodbye to his nephew. His brother lives in in Melbourne, Australia, and he instead of his, he was asleep. So his nephew was asleep. So he spoke to his brother, and that that moment he just opened up to his brother, and that just re- relieved him from the need to commit suicide and it just started the shift. Yeah, but, like, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? It's so ridiculous how um, powerful sharing is, right? Like this, like it, beyond meditation, like I'm very interested in men's work and run, like have a thing called the Berlin Boys Club and then another one called the Dublin Boys Club. And um, like have a template that I give out to people if they want to set up their own boys clubs. Mm. And it's just basically like a kind of a series of conversation starters for guys to learn how to share with each other. Mm. And I always, so much of it has been inspired by my friend Kevin who killed himself. Just this idea that I always think if I had known how to talk to him back 20 years ago, maybe he'd still be around today. Mm. Well, we just didn't know how to talk. We, we really just were like, how do you do this? What what, what happens next? Yeah. And how just from, from running men's groups and men's circles and just recognizing that, God, it's so simple. You know, if one person listens to you and allows you to, just gives you the feeling that, oh, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm not on my own here. Mm-hmm. It, it removes so much of that feeling of self-loathing, yeah. which is, you know, the, the catalyst behind suicide right yeah totally brother totally that's beautiful man it's an awesome initiative to create. i love the name too it's just like it just sounds cool so but it's great you, you doing this though too is amazing because what, what you've what you've got is like because you know yourself like i'm sure you've been through dark nights of the soul yourself but you wouldn't have got to where you are now right mm-hmm. but this idea of like when you're in the pit of despair you're like I'm on my own here. Nobody else, nobody else feels this right now. Nobody, nobody gets this. And when you begin to realize that, yeah, we're all kind of up shit creek. Yeah. And this this brother's had it even worse than you. And this guy had this. And and this guy went through that. And now look at him. He he managed to fall in love and have a child. Mm-hmm. Like oh, it's still you can still do these so, things. You know, and your buddy uh, Fee, like. Uh, like what an amazing story he's gonna tell now. Oh man, I'm so I was so moved when he was talking about it. I was like, wow, this is bloody incredible just to be able to share this story, you know. And like the people that are sitting there now, are just like, um, it's over. I'm done. I'm gonna go. And uh, if they hopefully they can just listen to this episode or another episode just to get their the feelings of faith running back through them, you know, um, yeah, and, and yeah, hope running back through them. What what uh what part of this conscious journey are you most grateful for, Connor? Um, oh, learning to accept myself has mm. like oh god, that's that's so 
profound. Like it's so nice mm-hmm. um, to actually love myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like little things. Like here, I'll show you this. This is this is a nice little example. I buy flowers for myself, Luca. Oh, that's awesome, <laughs> man. I love that. You know what I mean? Like, like kind of, it's it, just to do do little things like that or kind of, I like I have a lovely little running dialogue with my inner child yeah. and I'll be like, hey, what do you want to do now? Yeah. And he'll be, oh, let's, let's, let's go rock climbing or yeah. let's, uh, let's go do this or things like this to have that kind of relationship with myself where I know that I'll probably... I mean, you know, I'll still be self-destructive, you know, naturally, but way less self-destructive um, than I was before. Yeah. Like, I do tend to think in my own best interest now, and they're really, they are my own best interest. Mm, not someone else's. Where I'll kind of... <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, Or just even things like kind of, quite often my dating strategy was I'd meet somebody, I'd go, oh, fuck, they need me. I better be with them because they're going to need me. And now it's more like, oh, yeah, they need me, but they need me as a meditation teacher, not as a lover. Mm-hmm. You know this kind of way? Um, and you, I'm just like, wow, this is an act of self-love where I don't feel this sense that I have to um, fix people, you know, or, or this sense that I have to, like, um, become worthy of someone's love or something like this. It's, it's lovely. It's lovely. Yeah, I love that, man. What's one tip you would give you? This is the last question, by the way. What's one tip that you would give your old self just starting this journey? Um, invest in Zoom stock. That is so good. No, I think... Um, um, I mean, I wouldn't want to change a thing. I really wouldn't want to change a thing. Um, I guess um, just to kind of, yeah, not to be, you know, it's, it's like the cheesy shit is really good, Luca. You know, the cheesy shit, like affirmations, they're great. Like sense feeling, trying to kind of write a gratitude journal, it's great. You know, Having long hugs with people is great. Like um, like calling people brother when you when you don't know them is great. Mm-hmm. So for me, I had such resistance to all of the cheesiness, you know, to all of the kind of the, I guess the 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 sappy side of spirituality. Whereas deep down, I was so hungry for it. I was so hungry to embrace by this loving world, which is which is the world of spirituality. It's a very loving, soft, tender place where, you know, people wear nice cotton and they look in each other's eyes and things like this. And I was so resistant to it all. And um, I think I think maybe I would have told myself um, not to be so afraid of not to be so afraid of uh, genuine love from strangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that man. Thank you very much for your time and, and sharing your story and your perspectives with us and on this series, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, Luca, thank you so much for doing this. Like, I have no doubt this is going to be of such huge benefit uh, for so many, so many dudes out there. Mm, thank you, man. Yeah, it's it's been very powerful to be on the other end and interviewing all these men. 
and see the, the yeah. changes that are already happening. Uh, I thank you, to, thank you to everyone for listening. If you do want to reach out to Connor, I'll put his Instagram in the show notes and just touch base if you are in Berlin, Dublin. I know there's some Irish listeners here, so uh, definitely reach out. Thanks again, Connor. Much love. I got love in my eyes, bro, I can't see I'm gonna be who I'm destined to be Wokeness is taking my old self away Yeah, I put love into me I'm spreading that love, yo, don't you see Grab your cacao and drink it with me Cause wokeness is taking my old self away Woke man, wokey woke man Woke man, wokey woke man Woke man, wokey woke man Bring love and just be Woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, bring love and just be.